Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The Man Team. Mega Bears Fan. With guest co-hosts. The Chris D. Josh. No, stop giving me little pop-up messages. I just want to open the conversation. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Okay, it's on the blue snowflake, so we're on the right mic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 335 of Polycasts, the edition where it seems like everyone is out for whatever reason. <laughs> I'm DeChristy. Joining me are some of the usual co-hosts. We have Mackie. Caffeinated as usual. And we have Phil, for now. Only half out. <laughs> And we're also joined by Josh today. Yes, not not a Mega Bears fan, but I play one on Polycast. We need to get you that mod that brings in pandas. You can play with that. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Mega Panda fan. Yes. It was an interesting one that shows up. The Iron Eating Beast, a.k.a. Panda. Yet it's made by a Chinese person, so I don't know how balanced it is. Well, they found some pretty balanced tactics on their forum based on what Boyan-san has been posting and strategy and tips in general discussion over the past few months. So They sound very balanced. Yes. Yeah. Totes. A lot of good players, though. Speaking of balanced, I, I guess we'll start off with the small details of the patch notes. And by small details, I mean I'm scrolling like <laughs> four or five pages worth of content. Yeah, you'll so, be going through that for a while. I guess I'll start this off by saying, is there anything that jumps out to people that they want to cover in particular here? Is I don't think it would be appropriate to just read off every change. I, people can do that for themselves, but uh, interesting things. I, I know that we can no longer um, tech exclusively by pillaging, for example. So that got, Well, uh, yes and no. You can still do it if you're pillaging enemy campuses. Yeah, well, okay. It, it's yeah, not as easy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not as prevalent as it was. Basically, yeah, pillaging the science and culture from the improvements was removed from every other city but Norway keeps us. Oh, okay. That's the reason to play Norway then. Yeah. And it's it's a little bit disappointing to go and pillage some iron and get religious points when you're not playing a religious game. That's true. Why couldn't it just give you gold? Like in the old days. That, that, a lot that, of that, improvements do give gold now. Yeah, yeah a lot that, of them give gold. And some of them now give faith. I can't remember which the what the spread is between. I think we did notice when there was the list, what was it, the gold for purchasing units has been increased, and I think everybody was thinking that's a Mali nerf. There's a double dose of it, the gold for purchasing, oh no, sorry, that's, I think it's gold upgrading, but yes, the uh, democracy was knocked down from 25 to 15. But they advertise it as a Mali nerf, even though it, it nerfs everyone. Yeah. 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 If that was something that was specific to Mali, I'd see that, that you make more gold, but you can't, it costs you more, like it's inflation for Mali to purchase units. But you've done that to everybody now. And it's like, uh, that's not going to help me when I'm playing anybody but Mali. What did you nerf them against? You didn't nerf them against everybody else because everybody got the same, pro- has the same problem. Uh-huh. I think yeah, the it would be inaccurate to say that the Mali specifically was nerfed based on that. I think the issue is really they just need to nerf the guys of whatchamacallit rather than anything else. Yes. The unit cost going up, they said that across the board it went up by a, an average of around 33%. That, to me, I think it was the upgrade cost. That's the upgrade yeah. cost, yeah. That, that to me, was a bit disappointing because it's like, I don't know what that solved either. It just makes war and stuff is just all that much slower. And it, it's just like, okay, well, now i got to sit back and wait even more turns. Not just, I already have to wait for my resources, but now I also have to wait for more money. 
I can at least see what they're going for with it, though, because throughout, really, most of Civ Six's existence to this point, building less expensive units and then upgrading them through the eras has been overwhelmingly the dominant move because it's just that much more efficient. So bringing that in line does make some sense. The problem is I don't see enough that really makes it nice to build stuff, but at least in terms of making them more competitive with each other, it makes sense. It seems though like the Civ that's behind is just going to be farther behind. They're going to have a tougher time being able to, you know, get back on par. I I got my tech, I, I finally made it there, and now, oh, sorry, I can't have crossbows for a long, long time because they now cost 135 instead of 90 on the speed I'm playing. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. But at the same time, like, the Civs that just all end, like, a crossbow rush or a night rush uh, on upgrades, it would just blast. And, like, knights are using iron, which hopefully you've been able to stockpile a little bit of it at that point. It's not like trying to get to swordsman really quick and having to, okay, well, I'm still waiting on, on my iron to come up. So. Yeah, that's true. That took some speed out of the yep. sword play. I know another one that came up big on turn cast was the Maori changes. A lot of people a lot of people didn't like the nerfs there, but then at least one co-host here said, you know what, it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the ability no longer stacks and the re- strength got reduced to 30 sticks. It's still powerful. You know, it, it's not an end of the universe nerf. It probably was a nerf that needed to happen for balance because it was a little too easy to churn out a bunch of Toa because they don't require iron because they're basically swordsmen. They're, they're ironless swordsmen. You ch- turn those churn those out and you just go like rampage over somebody. I was going to ask you yeah, they about it since you played them a lot, even though when you look now at the basically the comparison of every single swordsman replacement, and personally in my eyes, I think they were over nerfed slightly, at least when you compare them to shield bearers and pacifists. We only require five iron and they still mm. retain decent abilities and they're basically just as strong, even though they technically come quite a bit later than a comparable ironworking rush. And do they really come that much later than the ironworking rush now? Because, again, you've got to build up the iron. If you don't have the iron, if you only have, or you have one iron, then it's going to take you a little while to build up enough armies to really go with them. That is the thing, yeah. It's kind of very dependent on if you have iron around, whether you, obviously, depending on whether you see it, Aperon's working, etc. And at that point, you might be able to very quickly turn it to something else. But still, though, I think, I don't know. I mean, in particular, at least you can kind of pre-build a lot better for into swords. I don't know, toads are also more expensive, so they're a lot harder to upgrade yep. into as well. Yes, yes, that's Although true. swords are now also harder to upgrade yeah. into. Well, but also now toads are even harder still to upgrade into. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind yeah, of I a... Guess. I think it's a little column A, column B. I think maybe the strength... Yes, the stacking definitely needs to be taken out. Since it was taken out of Varus as well. That's a good thing. But I'm not sure they need to be knocked down the peg for the slightly later tech. Yeah. Especially because... given their price compared to their yeah. alternatives. It was right. always crazy to me how unpopular the India Silk was, considering how good Varus were. I think it's just because they were so slow. Yeah. If we say that they are as good as a Sword Rush, then they're not a special unit. They still should be a little bit better than a Sword. Especially being that they come a little bit later. Well, they are guaranteed, and there's something to be said for that. Yeah, they are guaranteed, and they do still give the, what is it, is it minus five that they give minus on their five, ability? yes. So, so they are kind of a 41, in a sense. Mm-hmm. They're 41 when defending and attacking in melee. When defending against range that isn't next door, they're still 36. Okay. Yeah, and they're also not as, they don't get that against cities. So. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, they're still they still hurt a lot trying to siege down cities, which I'm not sure if swords are affected in the same way. But of course, they can both get the plus ten defense. I usually remember to take along the either battering ram or siege tower with it, so it does help oh, in yeah. that sense. Oh, you basically need one if there's walls involved. I I, I take siege towers everywhere. My my wards are wrong if I don't have a siege tower. <laughs> Late in the game, the siege tower looks a little bit odd next to some of those units, but you know, it, it's good. Well, if the enemy doesn't like it, they can just get the more modern wall attack, and then it don't work anymore. They did slow down the late game um, environment stuff. I have a bad habit of killing everything before I get to the late game, but um, <laughs> from, from what I saw people saying, that seems pretty good. That. Maybe it kind of went a little bit too fast before. Oh, yeah. You could, like, blitz through it by having, like, two units. And that was yeah. Nice. Yeah, there were people giving, like, specific details of, like, yeah, I have, like, five military units and only four of them are using resources that contribute to this. And I'm the leading person, even though I have, like, one factory and this the global warming is still an issue. It's like, well, okay, that's yeah, a bit much. It's like when you see the multiplayer game of ours run long and Grim is trying to kill us with the CO2, he's already, like, up to level seven or level eight and i don't think it was much were we even into the the early modern era if that and it's like uh it doesn't happen that fast come on yeah 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 so at least by the nice halving of the of the carbon emissions from the units it should be a bit better and you might be able to actually have a bit more of an army before you make us all choke to death i wonder how because i haven't played on the other speeds like at all i I wonder if that's a is an influence too. As far as I know, based on the formula, so there's a, a certain amount, I think it's per player, multiplied obviously by the the size of the map, and then I think it's also further multiplied by the speed on the same speed modifiers, like the half for online and the two-thirds for quick. Apparently, it seems to be, at least from what I can tell, it's not really scaling too great on map size, just simply because there's more sieves, but there's not the same equivalent amount of space on the map or whatever it is. Yeah, okay. I, I can't remember where it was mentioned, but it, it was something like that. So I think larger maps are slightly less balanced because you can kind of end up going through climate change quicker. But it might also be a case of the fact that they've removed the whole uh, cranky of the natural disasters doesn't also crank up climate change. So that also might be another factor. <laughs> well, that would explain at least one game when somebody's like, hey, it's our first time with this thing. Let's turn it up yeah. to the top and see what happens. Ah. Yay! And, and then somebody didn't realize it was at the top and it's like, oh my god, they, this is ridiculous how often they give these things. <laughs> What was it? I think the end of the game, I finally go, somebody said something about it and it was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that does, that does make like, a little more sense. This is what it's like when we turn it up to 11. This, this uh. is supposed to be rare and it's happening constantly in the same spots. They did, they did do a couple of other neat fixes or things that people have been hoping for for a long time. Barbs are going to be spread out more. I think I saw that they are favoring spots that barbs have not shown up. Yes, they are indeed. So, before? hopefully, it's no longer the case of okay, I killed a barb. Now I'm going to walk two spaces back to heal, and the count's back. <laughs> they were bugged, right? They probably just fixed that too. It was that yeah. too. Yeah, it seems. I think from the original blog is that it pretty much like picked one or two continents, and that's all they would ever spawn on. So if you're yeah. on the right continent, you had no issues. Otherwise, <laughs> have fun. Yeah, because I I don't think I don't know if it was last week or the other week in the multiplayer. I was on the right continent where I didn't get the barbs, and everybody's going, "Oh, all these barbs," and I'm like. I have no barbs. And uh, thankfully now, they also can't spawn GDRs. Just <laughs> yes, in case yes. you ever get that far along in the game. Yes, and suddenly yes. it's like, oh hey, five barb GDRs are walking in. I only have <laughs> one GDR. This is going to be fun. Naval units can no longer use tunnels. I'm very disappointed. Uh, that was such <laughs> a great mental that? image of them, everybody, the Inca using their tunnels and 
whoop, whoop, whoop the boats through it. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was kind of funny, but also a little bit, hmm, maybe they didn't think this one through properly. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure all tunnels in history were built with a canal in the middle of them, obviously. Uh-huh. <laughs> Especially oh, and, back then. And not to mention the tunnels that were, you know, a constant source of flowing gold for certain particular pillaging units. Thankfully, that's gone now as well. <laughs> yeah. AIs, they apparently reworked the AI a little bit. So, like, the AI's preferred victory condition, they will work a little bit harder towards it. So you're... Your warmongers will be a little bit more warmongery. Your science civs will be a little bit more focused on science and things like that. I haven't seen how that plays out as far as I've seen so far. They still seem a little bit squishy, but, you know, that's just maybe the that's way it's playing. Yeah, Everybody is squishy. Yeah. <laughs> I am a little bit disappointed. It does say that they added beards to all remaining leaders that did not previously have beards. I think <laughs> we should all go and put in a bug report that we're missing our beards because they Yeah, are. there's a few of them that still missing them. I mean, you look at Eleanor and the long flowing hair and you think <laughs> you really see a long flowing beards go with yes. that. Yes. So. Yes, an yeah, amazing sure. long beard. Yeah, an amazing I mean, long blonde beard. Yes, it it just makes perfect sense. We demand beards. There, there was always been crazy. <laughs> there, there was an interesting one on trade that I think diplomatic favor increasing the value of diplomatic favor limit number of items desired in a trade set minimum value for traded items. I personally always thought that the AI was willing to give me tons for diplomatic favor, and I was more than happy, especially early in the game, to give them all my diplomatic favor for it. <laughs> You give me good stuff, I go squish you, you know? It seems seems like a good trade-off to me. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I haven't really said, I haven't actually had a chance to play yet, but I mean, it seemed... I, I don't know how the favor needs to be made even more valuable. As, as it is, I already had them originally before, had them coming every couple of turns. Hey, why don't you give me a 20 favor and I'll give you, like, this one quarter of my gigantic treasury in exchange for it. And I'm like, uh, no, I'll have my favor, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Show up early in the game. I've got maybe six favor, but here's open borders. Here's some gold per turn, and here's a decent chunk of gold. Would you like my diplomatic favor for your relic? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I don't understand why we wanted to go in that direction, but maybe, maybe I will at some point. <laughs> maybe it's to try and encourage people to maybe actually trade a bit more rather than hoarding us, and actually, you know, trade things properly, unlike you know. taking advantage of their uh, strategic resource trades, which apparently are still possibly a little bit broken even after the patch where they thought they fixed it. I've seen screenshots on our slash save of them saying, oh, you you just got six oil here, have, you know, several thousand gold for it. Okay, are they, uh, did they at least fix the infinite money looping? They say they did. Whether they actually did, who knows? Okay. Yes. Um, one other one other Civ base change that I was really happy to see, at least. The Egyptian Chariot Archer does not replace the Heavy Archer anymore. It's an additional unit. Yeah, is, so you can actually build both. The heavy, the heavy Chariot, I should say. The Heavy Archer. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, Heavy Archer. Hmm. New unit, huh? But yeah, yeah. so you yeah, have your Heavy Chariot still to upgrade to Knights, and you can be happy. I was very happy to see that one. Yeah, you Plus can it just lets you take a city already. with it. Exactly. You can some high mobility in the early game if you want to rush something out, too. That's pretty helpful. Although, in regards to taking cities, one thing they also did change is, finally, so that, you know, if you're fighting a, an emergency war or a protectorate war, you will actually get grievances or warmonger for taking enemy cities. They finally got fixed that thing. <laughs> it's only taken how long? Oh, warmonger. It's another game for AI loves you. Come on. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just like be on friendlier terms with everybody. 
Yeah. Or maybe they should just leave my city-state alone, so that way I don't have to ship, you know, several modern armor around the world and then just run rampant through their land and say, are you going to leave my city-state alone now? No. Okay, I'm just going to keep pillaging you. Eventually, so you can tell it's not hearts of iron. <clears throat> One thing that I was kind of disappointed in is I, I was not happy in this, the current version having the World Congress pop up and then you sit and you wait and wait and wait, especially in multiplayer. You'll wait a long time and then players aren't even allowed to participate anymore in most of the stuff. <laughs> oh, sorry, it targets another player. You can't do it. I wish they would have rolled that back, but I really wish I saw bug fixes and, and maybe they're in here, but I didn't see them. I wish there were bug fixes for the UI on that, that when people have actually accepted it would go on, you don't have to actually close out of the screen first. No idea. Haven't really seen it. There was one major bug fix I'm really happy for is that grievances decay between dead sieves. Thank goodness. There goes the permanent minus 10 loyalty problem. Oh, that was so Oh, weird. yeah. <laughs> what the crap? I mean, it'll still take a while for it to go down. If you're the kind of person like me, you would end up with like five or six hundred by the time I'm done finishing them off. But at least finally it'll tick down. I don't want to have to stick my governors in some backing of my civilization just because it's like, we were, we used to be someone else. We got conquered. We constantly remember that at the same race that we've always remembered it. <laughs> Yeah, because in real life, conquered people have remembered that, yeah, we got conquered, but they chill about it after a certain amount of time. Yeah, just just a little bit. They'd be like, hmm, maybe this this, this new city is actually better. They, you know, give us amenities and improvements and stuff. It's no longer a Dublin. I'm not sure what else they fixed on this, but apparently they brought out the basic bit of the world builder. If you edit a file somewhere, you can go world build things. It is nice to see that return. Yeah. People do love to do map building. Yeah. It's not something that I do much, but I, I, it's a feature that I like to see there because I like other people being able to do it and see. And plus now people can set up maps that are more balanced if you want to actually play a balanced map. Yeah. Some What's people care about that. What's more balanced than the than the default base game six arm hexagon thing? Mm, you get some variety. Mm. But no, you can't beat that in balance ever. Ha ha ha. But yeah, that's exactly it. I might not use it, but I'm happy to use the results of someone else's work. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well I'll just sit there, stare at the workshop and wait for the maps to show up. I think the final thing that maybe you've noticed is that while I think most people have done the, the shift enter to force end turn issue or the devs were originally calling it an exploit, even though it's just kind of a no it's like I didn't want to do something or I couldn't do something so I need the turn to end forcibly but they changed it ever so slightly so that you no longer can make gain a ton of production overflow by doing it so you can no longer like sit there with an empty city for 20 turns and then instant build a wonder for example not that i did yeah. that before the only the only thing usually for me it's just a case of i don't want to build something this particular turn but i have a tech that's going to unlock something next turn so how about you just sit there and do nothing especially because even for me it, it might be the case of it's early enough in the game where there's no it's too early for the districts to actually be doing a project or it's a case of i don't want you to start building a builder because you're going to increase the cost for all the other builders or don't start building a unit that don't have the resources for it or this the unit's literally just about to upgrade so why even bother starting sort of thing yeah I'm one turn off of getting this tech which is going to let me build better units can I just wait one turn and build the better units I'll willingly give up one turn worth of production just for that don't label this as an exploit please it yeah. was never an exploit I still don't like how they handle uh, ending turn unending turn in multiplayer like I still miss how they implemented that in so far 
I did the do it there. Then... Even after you ended turn, you could still give orders. Oh, okay. I guess it's just like the case having to manually unend. I guess it's just a case of this time they just want to make sure that you know everything that has gone through has gone through so they can like properly sync us between all the players. Last thing we need are more desyncs. Why is that an issue now? More than ten years later, I don't understand. Who knows? In vanilla Civ Four, desyncs were an issue, but by BTS, it's still the most stable Civ multiplayer experience in existence, as far as I'm aware. Desyncs haven't really been too bad for us lately. I know last last week we had one or two when I moved to the new computer and found out that I had some updates that were running in the background and I was hosting and we we had a problem at that point. But other than that, it's like usually we only have like one, maybe two. We have a guy who sometimes plays with us and he was playing on satellite and he would get more desyncs than other people. Yeah, and that's but, to be expected. But man, in our Civ 4 days, we could go like months and not get a desync issue yeah. in BTS. So I would say that's still more stable. Well, that sounds a lot more stable, yes. <laughs> Maybe it's a nuance of Steamworks versus the old system. Who knows? Yeah, it could be. I'm just not so sure that they needed to implement the intern this way as a syncing issue specifically. Well, maybe it's also just simply a case of it. Want they want it wants to be made clear that you've literally done everything you can do. No more unit. You're not planning on moving any more units, sort of thing. Whereas if you then decide, oh, I actually can move this guy, and I will use him on end your turn, so at least it's noticeable to other people that you still or you're about to take an action, sort of thing. I don't know quality of life who knows i would say it's a significant degradation in quality of life because it's annoying it's just like oh yeah i want to make this last tweak and now you have to unend your turn and now you have to ding ding the other person again and they'll complain about it but yeah. and sometimes you're doing it on purpose but usually you're not usually you just wanted to make a tweak and end your turn again but no now they have to hear that crap unless they turn it off it's unnecessary yeah and then when it when it's just it's not even the person particularly trying to do it to you it's just it's just crazy when it's like yeah i already feel pressure enough i don't need this constant ding 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 (laughs) (laughs) says the guy who usually ends up in war while everybody else is still at peace (laughs) and then wonders why he's getting ding ding do remember that one oh you were talking about you okay feels like, oh, wait, not me. It feels like, wait, me? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I do tend to end up at war sometimes. You, you tend to play a lot faster than everybody else, too, so it probably doesn't happen to you as much. Yeah, that, that does wash it out a bit. I do play pretty quickly, but I'm certainly at war, usually early and often. Oh, 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 what? yeah, I was just going to ask if anybody had any others. There was one other one here that was big on for the forums, and I think was part of our discussion last week, was about city-states and walls and things like that. City-states will now, on Deity and Immortal, start with walls. Well, I guess Finally, they implemented the mod are... solution. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they'll stop running them over like right away. I kind of wish it uh, trickled down even further still. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Emperor could at least use it. They also add additional melee units to city states at the higher difficulties, so they do get more melee units as well. Oh, okay. So that, that'll help too. Uh, I mean, if the DD AI gets the additional melee units, I don't know why the DD city state AI wouldn't get them. I was going to yeah. say, wasn't it the case that they had the city states only ever, it was literally two melee and that was it, regardless of the difficulty level? At least now they have some something to compete with the AI starting with the six melee units. Yeah, plus it'll make it less obvious for a player to just, like, smash a subpar city-state for a free city mm. with some units they were building anyway. Well, unfortunately, Dan's not here any longer, so we can not We can no longer be going crazy about how Canada has more production from mines in the cold stuff. Why would anybody want to play Canada anyway? I know. We're not even a real country. <laughs> no, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, you know what we I could mean, do is we could have a top ten list of the patent. Mm. No. Yeah. No. 
Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, it's like everybody always says England's the worst, but I look at Canada and I read all those things. It's like, why would I want to play Canada? National parks made by Mounties. I guess that's why. There we go. Dudley do right saves the day. I think surprise war immunity could be useful. Yeah, but I think you yeah. pay more than pay for it with the inability to really snipe units. Yeah, I guess. You just denounce people all the time. Every chance on cooldown, you just denounce. I can't. De- <laughs> I can't declare my surprise wars. I I always declare surprise wars. When I try to declare a different type of war, it turns out that I did it wrong. <laughs> and I end up, it's like, well, I want to, I'm ready for war, so I'm declaring it anyway. Can they ask me to, about moving my units off the border then? Yeah, they still can. I actually don't know what happens. I've never tried this. <laughs> that, that might be worth trying, because if I could declare war that way, that would be a pretty easy way to get around it. It makes you wonder if it would do something similar to the whole, you used to be able to nuke Canada without declaring thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which I believe was fixed, but let's make sure. Yeah, it was fair and balanced. I don't like that you have that improvement. Let me fix that. Let me just get rid of that for you. Although maybe the other two things we should probably discuss about the patch was the, the new stuff, the ability to search for things on the map, and the integration of map tax from the workshop is now in base game. All right. Because during the times I would watch you guys playing Turgas and be like, these your pins are so basic, and now I'm here. I've been using map tax for like a couple of years. For as long as it's been out and I'm like I can pin anything and everything and it's clear and obvious what it is but now it's base game so you can all be pinning you know with great clarity and details yeah useful for plotting out your cities for sure yes and not having to rely on the notes you write on it yes because sometimes it's just as easier I'll just click this icon that's clear where I want to build that particular district rather than having to type out uh, industrial campus or whatever it is there's mountains all around it of course I want to put a campus there <laughs> But I need to remind us. It used to be the case in the past. No matter what you put there, unless you unless you yourself had a system of okay, this symbol is going to represent campuses. This symbol is going to represent you know pillaging, for yeah. example. At yeah. least now it's slightly clearer. You no longer have to be thinking, what did I put that pin here for 100 turns ago? What does that mean? And plus the ability to search means you can now search and figure out where all those like improved strategics are that are under your existing districts. Oh, yes. Or, you know, figure out, all right, where on the map still has rainforest at like this stage of the game? Because I finally got that rainforest great scientist. I really need to try this feature because this week I did not try the search. And now that you're talking about it, it's even better than what I thought. But to me, I even find it more fun. Just search for archaeology sites. Find out how many are in the enemy lands to how many archaeologists yeah. I have to build and send over there. Well, you mentioned searching for resources that are underneath your districts and stuff. That's not even as important as the ones that are like just outside your lands. Yeah, where, that too, yeah. Okay, I just revealed NIDER. It doesn't say that I have any. Let's type in NIDER and let's see where it comes up. Oh, see these there? are one tile away. Let's go buy that tile. Uh-huh. Yeah. There you go. Suddenly, yay, Niner. Pretty much, yeah, like, literally search anything that would show up in the hover pop-up thing for a specific tile. So you can search for tiles on a specific river, for example. You can search for every tile on a certain continent that you don't really have the lens for that. It, it's pretty powerful. It's basically almost like a, a database SQL search. Yeah. I've been seeing posts from people who you can actually say you, you can search for a specific tile type that doesn't have improvements, for example. Yeah. Find me every hill that does not already have a mine on it yes. and highlight it so I can go put a mine on it, for example. Can I search for religions so that I know where I haven't spread yet? I have not tried to do that, but I'm sure the religious 
there, there's a heat, there's that heat, better. I, that's what I was just going to say. There, there's a heat map for that, isn't there? Yeah, there's a religious lens for that. So I'm sure some of the searches will do the same as the lenses. But this sounds like a very nice feature, though. Yeah, you could even search specific unit types, and then if it turns up with an absolute ton of results, maybe you should look where they are and if they're heading your way. <laughs> nah, that's what your scout screens are for. If there's a ton of results, you declare war because obviously they were all your units. <laughs> that too. No warmongering here. No. You just forgot. Search, search for yes. GDRs. Three on the map. They're all mine. Time to dow everyone. Yeah. You could probably abuse it that way then, couldn't you? Is it only showing you what you can see? As far as I can tell, maybe. I'm not entirely okay. too sure. Which would be good. I mean, it, it, that would only be fair. Yeah, I think it's pretty much just based on what you have uncovered. Like it, I think it's best intended point is for searching things on the map, but it just so happens yeah. that it's just as powerful that it can do units and cities and buildings yeah. and every tile of a certain civilization, for example. That's cool. Search for the wonder that makes for a good trade trade site to hit because you forgot where it was built. Yeah, search for where Zimbabwe is. Search for where That's the University the of Sankor is. Or even search for where Alhambra is, because I need to take that city over. I want that policy slot. <laughs> so, our first non-patch topic is cross-platform cloud saves. You can now do a save between Steam and Nintendo Switch. And by signing into your 2K account. By signing into your 2K account, yes. Which is sounds like, oh, wow, I can do this across platforms. Except Nintendo Switch does not have the expansions. No, so you, yes. You are, you are now stuck playing Vanilla Civ 6. <laughs> I suppose uh... it, yeah. I suppose it's more handy for those who maybe started playing it on the Switch and only just realized, oh, hey, it's on PC as well. And that's more the case if they want to continue that game that they started like out on the go on the bus or the train, for example, and then I mean, continue it at home. I mean, then you got to play Vanilla Civ 6. And remember Vanilla Civ 6? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Yeah. Maybe. I can see some people really happy with this and really who will uh, use it a bit, especially if they, you know, haven't bought Rise and Fall and Gathering Storm, for example. And so they're there. They only have Vanilla Civ yep. 6. Yep, so that so, will help. Good. Yeah. For me, for me, I was more focused on well, what what are the things that the, the devs could have spent better time on, like you know, making the expansions for, work for the Switch. That that might have been a good investment of time there before worrying about making the two work together, getting them to the same version, the same features. I still think it's all. I still think it is going to be a case where the PC will get it first, and then it will be unfortunately have to be backported simply because of you know OS differences yeah. or implementation differences, just yeah. how it is. Although I thought us Asper were supposed to have Gathering Storm pretty soon, if not at release, weren't they? I'm not sure. I don't know. I, they always I, make I, all kinds of promises. I mean, they do, they don't have Rise and Fall yet, so still don't. Are they are they going to have them both? Are they going to do them together or something? Maybe that's I don't what know. I heard. I'm not entirely. It's it's been a while. I can't again. Can't remember where I read it. My 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 bigger concern on it is that this may, if you're going to make the game cross platform with all these other things, strategy games, especially turn based strategy games, you know they work. PCs give you lots and lots of options where consoles don't. My concern is that by wanting them to be working together, you're going to end up keeping the game more dumbed down. And I, I've had my problems with it being dumbed down since uh, after Civ 4, but I feel like it's just like the type of thing that's going to push it further in that direction. I agree. This is also why the UI tends to be pretty crappy for PC users, just because they are building it for 
non-PC users as well. Yeah, anything touchscreen, because that's why we have the strange buttons and things, because it's got to be where it's on a tablet, and you can go bloop, bloop, bloop. Yes. Which, at the same time, is cool, but at the other hand, uh, can I have a functioning interface? That'd be great. I've actually seen stuff about that, various threads on um, on our session about people who play the game with, you know, for example, assistive controls or even the touch controls. They were having issues with the with the patch which changed the great work screen from a click yes. click to a drag and drop system. Yeah. Now, obviously, as someone who has a mouse and isn't using touch screens, to me, maybe I didn't see the problems, but obviously. It's there for some people, you know, I'm not going to play the yeah. message. While they haven't released it fully, you can contact Civ Force and actually get the original files that you can just drop into the game folder yourself to, to reverse it. And who knows, it might show up in the workshop as well. That's obviously something they have to consider, obviously, with regards to this UI. They're trying to cater to more people, especially with the touchscreen options. So the choices they make have to be very deliberate. It's not like back in with Civ 4, it was like, you know, the massive section down bottom with what seemed like 20, 30 buttons sometimes. Now that they're trying to make it more accessible to a lot of other people, they're going to have to make a few changes to the UI and also have to be very considerate of what they change and when. Yeah. But then a lot of those buttons are actually useful buttons, and then we all we all lose out on them because they wanted to work on the console. Yeah, true. Yes. Or I mean, I, I know one of the big complaints that comes up a lot is the tiles on Civ Six and Civ Five. Civ Four, things were smaller. You had a it kind of created for you a bigger world because if if you go tile by tile, you had a bigger world. But you can't really go with a smaller tile because we want it to work with touchscreen. And we wanted to work with these other things. So um, that's kind of disappointing, too. It'd be nice if Wonders could, like, stack in a tile, you know? Give me, give me like, a couple of zones in it or things like that. Can't get anything like that. Maybe these are things for the next iteration of Civ. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah, but maybe, maybe the next iteration will show up on Switch first. It could be something like where, I think it's like, doesn't Imperator Rome, you zoom out and you're in province view, but as soon as you zoom in, you're in city view, and that's where you have all the smaller... Yeah. provinces show up so maybe the next save might have something like that who knows yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> whoops yeah so over on Symphonetics we have comatose dragon well wait a minute how are you doing passing topics if you're a comatose dragon? Anyway, asking why do people want balanced civilizations? Because he's simply thinking about it, and there's a lot of recent posts calling for civics to be balanced in relation to every other civ. And he's like, why do we want them all in the same playing field? Are you, you know, he's like, do you, he's thinking of it in terms of as if it's, if the civs weren't balanced in comparison to each other, it's like a handicap. If you, which I can kind of. So I sort of relate to that because me playing Australia and the Mori frequently is on a higher difficulty. It's easier for me to cope with the difficulty because they have some built-in strengths to them. You know, so but he's saying that why do we have to have them all balanced? Why can't we have some civs that are kind of a little weak and then it's a challenge to play them on a higher difficulty? Or like I do, here's one that's kind of good and you can start trying to learn how to cope with the higher difficulty level with these guys. Did Australia he, take a nerf? I, they did relatively early on, but they're still real pretty powerful they're bonus they're they're still really powerful right yeah yeah, yeah. their adjacency bonuses used to be plus two plus four for the high appeals now it's just plus one plus three and i think more recently they've also taken a nerf in the city liberation bonus production from 20 to 10 turns but other than that they still have the 
you get double production if you're declared upon. They still have the lots of extra stuff for exactly. appe- on districts for appealing tiles. So exactly, and I've played them a lot lately because of getting back into Civ Six for Gathering Storm. I'd, I'd went away from it for a while, so I played them quite a bit. And I guess that's kind of what I'm looking at here is we're say, saying balance, but balance still is not. I mean, being on the same playing field and being perfectly balanced are two different things. And I don't think that anybody's going for perfectly balanced. I mean, even I don't if think you it's do. Possible. You can always you can always work towards it, but unless you make them the exact same, it's never going to happen. So there's nothing wrong with working towards being a little bit more balanced, but you're still going to end up with your stronger sieves and your weaker sieves, and ones that are stronger at certain things. I mean, hey, you, you're not doing good with science. Why why don't you go try a game as Korea? <laughs> See how you do. There are options there where I guess how balanced are we looking for here? And how how much balance do people really want, I guess? I think the main thing, at least in the threads, that maybe the OP has maybe uh, kind of looked over, it's possibly less a case of direct balance and more a case of giving civs their own niche. And where they excel on, you know, what sort of maps they excel on, what yeah. sort of like terrain options they tend to excel on, or even who their opponents are, for example. Like, uh, you know, Mongolia will do great on a nice flat Pangea where they can send trade routes to everyone and then suddenly wander in with cavalry that have a plus 12 combat advantage. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, stick them on an archipelago and, you know, they kind of have issues. Yeah, because we've always had that in a sense. We've had some civs that are better for a naval game as opposed to a land-based game. So if you're picking an islands map, you pick somebody like Phoenicia or Indonesia or even Norway. Yeah. I like how no one's in England. England. Look, I almost said England, but I was, but I'm really thinking of like five England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, I want a trade agreement oh. with England, though. <laughs> uh, so we're trading Lizzie and Vicky or something. So, yeah, I just want an England that's decent. Even yes. Civ 6 Vanilla England was fine. A Civ 4 island map with Portugal was a whole lot of fun. It was different. It wasn't something I wanted to do often, but it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, similarly, Civ 5 Polynesia. Yeah. You know, there you I go. just wish Civ 4 Portugal's trade routes weren't uh, gimped until you got us like the, the normal naval attack. Yeah. yeah. You definitely had an advantage. But man, that made and Beyond the Sword was nasty. It definitely wasn't perfect, but it was fun. Oh, yeah, sure. It was definitely a different game, too, which is nice. Yes. And that's another thing, too. I mean, we say balance, but do they have, when you say balance, do they have to be balanced on everything? Because different people being good at different things is a lot of fun. It gives you different styles of games to play, especially after you've played a while and you can play the base game and it's just like a boring base game. You don't want to repeat the same thing every time. I just think they need to be in the same ballpark. I agree, and I, I agree with what Mackie said, too, that there should still be some that are a little bit stronger. One of their comparisons in this thread was a baseball game, and they're talking mm-hmm. about the best teams, and they're talking about the in the league, and they're talking about the worst teams in the league. And if you want a rougher slog, you play as the worst teams in the league, and you see what you can do, and you let your human nature take over and beat the AI. Hey, I can give you the racing game equivalent as you <laughs> – <laughs> If you play the F1 game, you want an easy game, just pick Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You want a really hard game, you go back a few versions and you start driving the Marussia. <laughs> you want a really hard game. Yeah, you want a medium hard game, you can pick Williams for this year. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're saying is in other games, we have the equivalent of sort of it's not balanced because it's not supposed to be specifically yeah. balanced and all the different teams and the sport game type things are giving you a different challenge and even with sue we have some sis that are definitely stronger than others we we say sometimes about certain sis being in the x tier and that's the kind of thing that is going on here they're not all going to be in this ever be in the same tier 
Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, not it bad would thing. Take, it would take far too many tweaks, far too much playtesting to get every single civilization in the state where their every single bonus is like directly comparable with everyone else. It would just take too much. I don't think you much. could do it with so many civs. I think it is untenable, especially with different map types too. You could really only do it with like four or six civs. So it's, you could pretty much like maybe you could do it in Civ Rev, for example, but and go full Starcraft on it. Yeah. That sort of thing, or even yeah, yeah, like even StarCraft Two balance, you might not say <laughs> might need a bit of work. Who knows? Yeah, they it's, get there though. They like yeah. it's a different kind of game, and they are going for that though. Yeah, that's the it's thing. In yeah. contrast to Civ, where uh, it doesn't really even really make sense to go for it. Especially in particular, it is possible also for you to play around your weakness. You know, if you know your Civ, okay, my Civ, it's probably going to hurt in you know sciences without a bit of an effort. So, you know, right. go build a few campuses and try and right. make sure Just they're good so you can actually keep up with that too. Yeah, take some cities that already have campuses. While everyone else is focusing on building the campuses, you're there making an army that just walks in, touches the city, and it flips to you. Yeah. That's the way to go. Yeah, there's also the way that the game's going to evolve away from you. You don't need it imbalanced to the point that every time you get to the other continent, Shaka has run over everybody. You know, and, and nobody else exists. You do need at least that much balance, but that goes back to the be in the same ballpark. I don't mind the fact that if I see Chaco on the other con and I go, oh no, I probably got a strong sieve. And then one day he's going to get beat up because he didn't have a very good start. And, you know, you get that little bit of variety. And it's like, oh, well, now I got to prepare for uh, Korea because, you know, they had the tech and they, they uh, wrecked everybody. They hot shot everyone to death. Yes. Even with the sieves we have now, some of them are powerful in different points. You may have to endure a slow start but then later on you're going to steamroll everyone yes like so. those tend to be the weaker says and, and kianos who's not feeling well but is, is with us in spirit right now is saying stealth rock most imbalanced mechanic ever <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's one of those different league things that didn't need to be in the game <laughs> that's why there's so many spinners <laughs> in both pokemon and battle bots oh, man not when it was introduced though my gosh it was interesting in gen 4 let's go with that <laughs> Yes, yes, interesting. Quite. Speaking of interesting, there's another thread on Symphonetics. Just our good friend Victoria, who kind of doesn't look quite much like the Queen, but is asking the question of, does anyone actually use fisheries? Me personally? Not really. She, she does not claim to be the Queen either. Yeah, that is true. She just looks like one. Yes. Yeah, I've been playing quite a bit with fisheries recently. On paper, they look male and screen quite different, although I think it has. It is actually in the Civilopedia. Yeah, fishery is worth one food plus an extra for every adjacency resource. I think that's always been the case. So you can get your water tiles up to some great food, but I mean, it's, it's just food for the most part. I mean, okay, with Gathering Storm, if Liang's in the city where the fisheries are, then they'll get an extra production, but it's still getting to that point takes a while because that requires you to take Liang instead of a different governor, requires you to stage her in the city, requires you to waste another, or use up another promotion to even unlock the fisheries, let alone even start building them which can take some time. And then there's also the consideration of, you know, much later on in the game, Seasteads do the same thing, but better. And Kampungs just laugh at fisheries. Ah, uh, yeah. This is why we play Indonesia, not England. Yeah, Kampungs. <laughs> so, Chris, you just hit on a lot of my thoughts on it, too, which basically was around opportunity costs. And what what am I giving up to get to Liang to level two? Um, one of the things mentioned here was that it could be used to get cities going early, which, yeah, I mean, I, in a certain situation, it could. But 
I have to take Liang. I got to get to the second one. Usually, I want to get Magnus and get him up to the second one. Get my yeah. free settlers, or well, not free, but free population, population free. Yeah. Then I either, depending on how fast I'm going to war. Now I kind of think about Victor a little bit more. But normally, what I want to do is I want to get to Pingala and get my bonus science mm-hmm. and culture in the city that that is going to produce those the most. Because if I can do that early, then I can get myself ahead of the AI, and then I can go bash heads hopefully by night. So that so that's my plan. So that is at least five upgrade or five governor titles there. Probably another one to get Victor after Pingala. That's six. At least have him so that I can move him in in three turns. If not get get some more of his bonuses. Um so you know that's at least six titles before I even think about this. I was also going to say there's also the case of you probably want the Ang in a city that's surrounded by a ton of volcanoes, for example. So you're not constantly fixing things, and that's <laughs> going to tie her up. Yeah. So you're not going to want to send her around your your empire building <sighs> fisheries because the second you take her out of there, everything's going to burn down. Yeah. Do I sit here and cross my fingers and hope this volcanoes stay dormant just long enough? But uh... yeah. And there is a bonus production, but only if Liang is in the city. Yeah, so it's only useful for one city. Like right. So, like in the screenshot, we see all that all that production, but that does go down at least by one because when she pulls out of the city. So there is that as well. Where would this be good? And I could see it. So here, here's here's a second thought that I had on this one. Yeah, I had a couple of thoughts on this one. The second thought that I had on this one was a lot of people were talking about taking these junk tundra cities and stuff and using this to make them useful. I don't like that because the junk tundra city where I don't get any production anyway out of any tiles, let it just be a barb magnet for me and, and, and fill up barb space or let it gather the oil or niter or whatever that I needed to settle it to get. Let it just do that. Instead, where I want to use this, and I think Victoria even mentioned something similar in one of her later posts, is I want to take this and I want to find that spot that has these plains hills that's on the on the ocean, but I don't have food to feed it. If I have that and I have this super production city and I could put a bunch of food there, that is the place where I, I would say, you know what? Maybe I want to use Liang to get me all that food so that I can actually work all these Plains Hills and have a monster production city. Use her to take a good city and make it great, not make take a bad city and make it kind of sort of average. Or even possibly tenable if you're like the right. person who has to settle something in the Arctic to get your oil and your coal late in the game. Later in the game, sure. I mean, getting extra production if you got a lot of water tiles, I guess. But I'm not sure how long that you, you get governor titles because, again, I tend to go and smash faces. And, yeah, <laughs> I need to work on that. <laughs> yeah, you need to do it even earlier. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and to me, yeah, like I said, I'll, when it comes to me, the priority is of Liang. Priority one is the reinforcement against uh, natural disasters. Then... Her, for me, the second priority for Lang is city parks, if I can start getting parks up in decent places. That's the one thing I want to focus on afterwards. Where can I put her to put a couple of parks down just to make the national parks better? Not necessarily just for the culture that the parks give. Like, I wouldn't leave her there just to get, oh, I'll get three more culture from these parks. No, I want them down for the appeal. And maybe then the third priority might be the extra builder charge. If, say, you know, I can put her in a city that's near natural wonder where that builder can get, you know, an extra charge or be even better still, for example. And maybe then fisheries force. So it's kind of low down the Liang priority list for me. However, there are a couple of starts. For example, you know, I even say even for the Maori, the first city of Maori, Liang can be great there. If you find a really good spot, you're more than likely going to still be coastal and have a lot of sea tiles. So you might be able to get most of your food from there while you're getting all of your culture and face from the land tiles that you're not able to chop. 
Yeah, there was a spot like that in a game we played the other night that I, if if yeah. I had been able to go down there sooner, it would have been. There was a ton of sea resources. I could have put the normal fishing boats atop of them, expanded the borders for that capital so fast. And if I'd had Leon, yeah. I could have went yeah. fish, 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 for all the food, which uh-huh. helps the population, which are then going to start working I, the moray boosted tiles. Yeah. yeah, I could have had a massively big city early on, but. I was on the wrong end of that continent for that. So pretty much it seems like it's a good – it would be a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. Keep it as something to – it's a tool to have in your arsenal for that game where the game, the game kind of dictates it and you don't want to just throw the game away. But probably not something that I'm going to start mixing into my main strategy anytime soon. Yeah, and same for me. Like it's – they're so limited in use. If there's not enough food there, you know, I might buy a tile around and try and find – I might buy a few flat tiles nearby and just go for a farm triangle instead rather than trying to go the governor route. I like the creativity on it, and I think that it could be useful in some cases, but I'm not going to make it a main strategy. And I don't think that she was saying that it had to be a main strategy either, to be honest. No, no not a main strategy, but just more the case of does anyone even use them right now because they're <laughs> – Just making one at all, yeah. They're worth a lot of food, and that's pretty much it. And while food's great, you still need the other stuff to go with it. Like at least the Inca have that going. They have the food from the terrace farms. They also have the production from the terrace farms and the mountains and the aqueducts. Yeah, I think that's one of the other things that was pointed out here too. I don't remember if it was in the original post or not, was that while you get all this food, it, they don't give you any housing. So you're getting population with no housing. So you have to get that elsewhere. for them as well. Leanne can get a bonus on her next upgrade after fisheries, but... Yes, she's on that side, but that requires you to be building neighborhoods or aqueducts neighborhoods quite late game and are spy magnets on the island there's no room for a neighborhood or that possibly too as well especially if you're settling somewhere that has a lot of coast where you want to probably put fisheries down you're probably not going to have a mountain to put an aqueduct near for an extra housing from her either so yeah tldr no I, I wouldn't go as far as no. I still think that it's a good okay. thing to have in the back of my mind. Not for anything normal. Not not for any of my normal games, but still something for I get stuck with land that, you know, could call for it. Don't forget that fisheries are a thing, and maybe you can make... I like the idea of the giant production city that is fed by it. And I feel like if you could get a super production city, it might even be worth the two government t- governor titles. I know that's a big price to pay. It might not be worth it early, but it might still end up being worth it. Might be if you're on island plates and you can't get a production city otherwise. Well, sometimes I get stuck with no production cities and it's really annoying. And it's yeah. like, well... So I guess our next topic is about what coasts really are. So we've got a pretty good-sized write-up by Bieber here. Ooh, how, how do I summarize it? So I guess he's pointing out how people want coasts to be better than they currently are. And I think it's kind of been a tradition in Civ that coastal cities usually have some problems of you got half your land's water, the water tiles usually aren't that great, and then half your land is land, which, okay, but that's still only half your land. Bieber talks about how coastal tiles or coastal cities shouldn't really shouldn't be better. And like I said, it's a long 
write-up, so I don't really want to read the whole thing. He points out how seawater's toxic, how being near freshwater is is really the thing that, that helps people, has helped people in history. I, I would point out, too, there, though, that um, when you talk about seawater, there's a lot of life in that seawater. There's a lot of food, and you do, you do have that as well, usually, typically, most of the places, most places where people have settled and done well. Boy, there's a lot, a little bit of discussion here about how the coasts, um, how how people like Greece were kind of an outlier, how the way that their civilization formed was more of it was it wasn't really based it wasn't because of being on the sea that they were formed i think would probably be the way that i would sum it up um it was more the fact that well hey if there's a sandy beach that's how we can land our ships because our ships there aren't really docks the way that we feel about docks today i don't know anywhere that doesn't have docks that probably should what else is there in here i mean this is a really long thing i know this talks a lot about coastal trade yeah trade in general was basically kind of the history of why cities tended to pop up on the coast obviously in particular you know for the roman and the greek empires are trying to send stuff across the mediterranean really quickly rather than having to go around anatolia yeah in uh, southeast asia as well yeah and down there as well so and yeah, and even on rivers, it was just a lot easier to send, put a small boat or a barge, load your goods onto that, and send it down river because it was faster and easier than trying to take like a pack animal train over land to a city. Right. Yeah, that's seen. Yeah, that's been a little bit more representative or represented with Gathering Storm. Now that uh, trade routes over water are worth more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's still more a case of in general that. Coastal cities can tend to suffer from a little less housing unless they're already by the river mouth, which they should be better for that. And obviously, yeah, they, they were mentioning, you know, the, the water tiles in general, literally the water tiles are there simply to give you a bit of food and maybe a bit of coin. Fish are great sources of food, yes, but they're they're still relatively isolated sources compared to, you know, a bunch of grassland tiles you can put, you know, a farm triangle or a bunch of farms on and they all improve each other. Whereas fish don't tend to improve each other unless, as we discussed earlier, you get fisheries, which no one ever thinks right. about. Then there's, still, there's also the case of the, you know, the water tiles are a little more dead because the only thing you can stick on there are harbors and water parks in the lake game. Otherwise, that's it. Everything else got to go on land, which kind of makes a bit of sense. But in particular, especially, you know, you're also lacking, tend to lack production because there's very little sources of production from the sea. Maybe it's just more a case of, of it's the, the potential gold earnings from said city should probably offset the fact that you're getting less production because you can then use that money to fund just buying things. But even then, they might take a while. Like shipyards can sometimes take quite a while to produce. It tends to be one of your big sources of production for a coastal city once you get that shipyard up. Yeah, grand. Lots of production now, but it's even getting to that point can take a while. I, I feel like putting my city one tile upriver is usually better than coastal anyway. To top everything else off, it makes it immune to any melee ships coming in. Because <laughs> yep. it, it, I, I am probably not going to build a giant navy to block that unless I'm in in battleship mode and when I'm in battleship mode then no navy no navy is going going to enjoy visiting me but until I hit that point which is kind of far into the game um, and and if I even bother to do it I'm not going to have a bunch of galleys to defend I'm not going to have have any if frigates yeah they're probably going to come in and they're going to wreck that city before I can get anything in place so I'm not 
I don't know. Why do I want to put it on, on the coast anyway and lose all the production? Because usually if I go one tile in land, I get more good tiles. Even if it's like two or three good tiles, then I don't care. Now, if I can get the Great Barrier Reef, you know, forget everything else that I said. You know, let's get the reef. But, you know, there's always got to be exceptions to the rules. You always you got always got to – it's just like we said with the fisheries. You got to know when, you know, hey, this map dictates that this might be a good alternate plan. Let's go for it. I think maybe it's just – maybe the balance you see a little more. Maybe maybe because it's easy to touch more balance, but at least maybe not just base. At the very least, it should be related to the harbor based on however long ago when they added that plus two gold for the harbor being right next to the city center. Maybe they really need to improve on that. Like if you put a city center there and put a harbor right next to us because it's going out to sea, maybe then it should you know really gel and give you a lot of good things that to say, you know, this is kind of – the point of why you put this city here I, so like near the near the coast at least so you get the money get the harbor and commercial hub next to each yeah, other that's what i'm saying so maybe you know if you actually put it on the coast it might give you bonuses like even better adjacency bonuses for being right next or could even do something crazy like make it so that cities with a harbor right next door basically if the city's on the coast it builds harbor buildings faster yeah even if it was something crazy like a plus 50 percent production for harbor buildings if it's built right next to the city center like even that would make be a case of oh okay this is you know why you built it on the coast sort of thing and then it helps you get up the lighthouse for the trade route quicker it helps you get that seat that shipyard up for that production that the city will almost guarantee to be needing basically end of all it needs to be worth putting it on the coast for it to be based on the fact you're making it vulnerable to being captured yeah and right now they don't seem to be doing it just yet now the argument in this thread was that it does not need to be improved because of all those other things that we were discussing. But I, I kind of feel like too that at some point you got to you got to have gameplay reasons to do things. And right now there's not a, a if all things are equal, unless like I said, like a very special cir- circumstance. I'm probably putting it one in, in from the coast. On if I'm playing Australia where I'm getting a bonus on the coast, I might consider it. But most of the time I'm trying to go one in probably along a river because rivers are so much more awesome. Yeah, there's a couple of in the thread like i think a clue with that has a suggestion for example well several suggestions there to make them better like making fishing boats full housing rather than half you know the better production for harbors a free trading post at the lighthouse have the harbor buildings get the production bonuses from industrial and military city states or even have have liang make it easier to repair things that get broken but there's another threat there's another post from U- uw has for trying to figure out how to separate the military harbour with the trading harbour, for example. So you could even have two coastal districts, one which obviously is the current harbour, which has, you know, the lighthouse, a warehouse and a shipboard, for example, and then you can have a dockyard for your shipyard, your galley production, your dry dock and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And also maybe make it so you can't put harbours in one lake tiles. <laughs> That's just a little stupid. And there is a question too then, is it just the city that it needs worked on? Or is it maybe the coastal tiles and stuff? Do they need to do something a little bit different with them? Maybe as maybe it's not that the city is the bad thing, but maybe it's the result of some other mechanics. Could be both, really. I think it's I think it's mostly the case of maybe they think of obviously you know the less housing on cities, the fact that they're vulnerable to capture, and they're possibly slightly further away from things like mountains and hills, where most of your improvements and power are going to come from, and you don't tend to gain too much from being from having more access to the sea because usually you know it's generally it might just be ocean which is bog standard with nothing there and even the really good stuff which you know even the turtles under the reefs they may look good but 
you know, they can be isolated and they don't add too much to be worth trying to catch them in your radius. And maybe amber, maybe in the late game, being able to get amber and the offshore oil is worth it. But in the early game, there's not really much there to say, hey, maybe we should, you know, settle by the coast. Call in today. In North America, the number is 301-637-7659. That's 301-637-POLY. In Europe, 44-121-288-7659. That's 44-121-288-POLY. The only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. For more information on Polycast, our sibling shows about Polycast in general, Log on to the series' official website at thepolycast.net. And, and, and then we'll add beards to all of the sieves. Yes, more beards. Must mod in beards. Well, this has been Polycast episode 335. As usual, I'm Makalua, joined by the me and team. My delegation is also coming. Prepare yourself. And guests the Christie. I'm going to go and get some hot percussion. And, and Josh. I, I am playing like Canis today. I don't have a good outro message. <laughs> <laughs> Filling in for Canis too. There we go. There you go. April 6, 2019. Civilization 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6, Sound Clips, Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.